What the hell? Hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome to Rock Isn't Dead. It's just sleeping. The special quarantine episode. Holy shit! I think we're missing Drew. We're dealt. We're missing Delta Drew Pearson. We're doing a uh, a uh, high school level three way calling episode from uh because we're all quarantined in our perspective dwellings like everyone else should be. I guess. Speaking of which, did you see the other night? Uh, I think. Uh, which is the guy Jimmy Fallon from the Tonight Show? He's doing the at home edition. <laughs> is he really? He's got his kids like climbing all over him the whole time. He's doing like you know doing his his wife's recording him on a, on a uh, video camera and he's doing the monologue. You know, it's like out by his front door. <laughs> hey, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I fucking yeah. love it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to watch. Well, I guess uh, I guess Drew will will jump in whenever uh, whenever he gets here. I guess I can try to send it to him again and see if he can fucking get it. But. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Anywho, so uh, this week on the special quarantine episode, we are going to talk about since we kind of we did Nirvana last week, so I guess we can kind of uh, fall into the quote unquote alt grunge realm of the '90s again. We'll talk about another uh, giant powerhouse band during that time, The Pearl Jam. If any of you guys have heard of them? I've never heard of those guys. Are those guys any good? <laughs> yeah, arguably, yeah, arguably one of the long, well, arguably the longest lasting American rock band in American history. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. These guys have been around since. Oh, there's Drew. What up, Delta Drew? Delta Drew Pearson. Doing? He's back. He's here. Well, he's not back. He's here now. That's what I'm saying. I'm in, I'm here. I am here. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've gotten through the introductions and we've announced that we're going to be talking about uh, the Pearl Jam on the special quarantine episode. So do we want to start on like uh, where they picked up their name or do you guys want to start with, uh, you know, where, where, where the well, family members came in? Like, let's Mookie start Blaylock? with who they are. Mookie, Mookie Blaylock. Mookie Blaylock. Well, well, let's start with who they are. Uh, you know, Pearl Jam rock band formed in the 90s specifically 1990 in Seattle, Washington. It was the uh, predecessor love child of many different bands to follow from uh, the the main com- proponents of this band, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament. Ament, somebody's going to correct me on that. But uh, Jeff Ament, the bass player, and Stone Gossard, the uh, rhythm guitar player, they uh, were kind of the founding fathers of this group, as well as you know bands like Green River and, and Mother Love Bone, right? Oh, Jeff yeah. Ament was definitely the best, my, my favorite member of Pearl Jam. Really? <laughs> With his floppy hats? <laughs> yeah. His little 90s uh, necklaces he's, he's always wearing. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, a, he's the a-stereotypical pinnacle of the 90s rock star. I think. <laughs> I think he is the poster child for the 90s. <laughs> I think so. I think so, too. So uh, this is, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament. They're, they're from the Washington, Seattle area. Uh, and they were in a band in the mid 1980s, a punk rock band uh, or quote unquote grunge band, depending on what you would, you know, if you're into labels and shit called Green River. Um, and they had some divisions between their bandmates, Mark Arm and Steve Turner. And that kind of was the end of that. But that gave birth to the uh, the pre Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam, the old mother love bone, mm. mother love bone. That was a fucking great, great band for its great little band. time, you know. Oh yeah, Andy Wood. Andy Wood always, always uh, their their 
their lead singer he uh he ended up dying of a heroin overdose but uh he was always a very interesting character to me yes especially also that makes him interesting not really himself being you know personality wise but he uh he was roommates with chris cornell that's right and didn't they used to have competitions when they lived together like they said uh you know every day they would each record a song a different song each day and sometimes multiple songs and then oh, you, yeah. you know they would they would say who's who's whose song is better each day you know I thought oh, yeah. that, that was kind of good motivation for each other i guess to, to keep writing you know during those times oh yeah chris cornell and uh and andy wood were were best friends obviously they were roommates they were you know not band buddies but they were you know they were in the same into the same things and so they were they were all in the same culture and so um yeah they were they were best friends i always thought that was a pretty interesting fact you know what i mean yeah mm -hmm. and you know andy wood dying that that you know as tragic as it is because they had uh they had just signed with polygram records and uh they released their debut album in july of 90 um apple uh and that was a pretty good album andy wood he wasn't he was on the you know the budding exit of the kind of the hair metal thing because andy wood was definitely a hair metal yeah singer. yeah of course yeah like if you if you see old videos of mother love bone and you see him with the tight spandex pants and you know the oh, yeah. long the long you know hairsprayed hair <laughs> yeah he legitimately looks like he could be brett michael's stunt double I was about yeah to right. say the same right there from sweden you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and Andy, like, if you ever watch, uh, like, interviews with Andy Wood or something, man, like, the guy was a born star. Like, he, uh, and the reason I'm going so far into Andy Wood is you, this is kind of the, this is what budded. I think, you know, arguably Andy Wood dying sparked the grunge movement. You're, you're going far into Wood. I think so. Well, far in, <laughs> I'm going deep into Wood. I'm not into right. conversation, Beavis. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> you proxy. are. Okay. Yeah, by proxy, you are good, sir. No way. Um, you're, the mother, yeah. you're, you're the mother love bone. <laughs> yeah, you're the mother love bone. You're damn right. Um, so, Get it right. <laughs> yeah. So, so Andy Wood dies uh, of a heroin overdose, overdose four months after Apple's release. And, uh, you know, Amit and Gossard kind of, you know, obviously that was they, they thought they were going to be huge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and they split off. Obviously, they broke up the band because I, I, dude, I don't know. I, I like I like that they did that, and I like that that Nirvana, you know, Dave, Pat, and uh, and Chris. I like that they once their frontman died, uh, and once the main songwriters died, that I love that they dropped the name and just went and did something else. Oh, I yeah. respect the fuck out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had no choice. <laughs> right. Like what Allison Chains did after you, you, like, I just, I can't, I can't get behind it, man. Like, once your frontman and main songwriter dies, like, your band's done. What about ACDC? That's the only exception in history. <laughs> what about, <laughs> what about Van Halen? Van Halen? Nah, I'm not a Van Hagar guy, man. Yeah. Well, dude, he, they, oh, you guys are nuts, man. Nah, man. David Lee Roth are bust. Yep. No absolutely. way. No way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm ah. not a Van Hagar guy. I feel the same way about Black Sabbath, man. Dio's dope by himself, but if it ain't Ozzy, it ain't Sabbath, right? Can't disagree. That's that's where I'm at with it. Okay, Once you lose so I like it when I liked Van Hagar because they didn't start, you know, doing all the David Lee Ross songs. They came up with their own stuff. That's that's you know, original. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and they still made it through the barrier of of you know of still keeping their fan base and all that stuff yeah. but then but then you have bands like journey who replaced their lead singer with with a sound alike 
that that's that's kind of like you know it's it's cool but it's not that you know it's, it's, not, it's not it's not the same thing they're not they're not doing original stuff and if they are doing gives a shit i won't disagree right. there yeah so but anyway but so, so it, well that's what i'm saying that, sorry that there's two types you know what i'm saying like the new alice and chains the new alice and chains is, is is kind of a third type though i guess because they're doing the old stuff and they're they're doing new stuff but i just don't i don't like that when a when a you know, your main songwriter or your front man or, you know, it doesn't have to be your main songwriter or whatever, or, or the front man. You could have somebody like when Neil Peart, you know, Neil Peart of Rush, he just died. If Getty, Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson just got some fucking Joey Jordison, the old drummer for Slipknot to play for him, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, dude, you're not fucking Rush. Quit. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? It yeah, doesn't it have to be the front man. But uh, so anyway, so Amit and Gossard, uh, devastated by the death of Andy Wood, they they split off um, and they start, you know, they're continuing to write music, but they're they're looking for a, uh, you know, for a new a new front man at this time. And so one of uh, Stone Gossard's actually good friends, Jack Irons, who happened to be the drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers at the time uh, down uh-huh. in California. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he knew this guy that he used to surf with and play basketball with that worked at a gas station uh, named Eddie Vedder. And so Stone sent down a letter and a tape uh, to give, you know, to see if he could help him out finding a singer. And uh, Jack Irons gives it to Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder writes a couple of a couple of songs and sings over whatever they, you know, whatever they sent him. Uh, and one of those songs happened to be alive and sends it back to stone. And a week later, Eddie Vedder's up there and he's in the band. It's pretty, pretty amazing how that happened. And also have have, just out of curiosity, I, cause I haven't, um, have you guys ever listened to anything from bad radio or Eddie Vedder's original band? No, Uh -uh. Hmm. no, might be some homework for everybody. Yeah. I think that's some homework for me. Is that, is it good shit? I'm saying I have never listened to it. Uh, well, see, that's that's something I was a topic, not not specifically that his original band, but that's a topic that I was going to bring her up later on in the show is um, kind of my take and my relationship, because Pearl Jam, like we talked about offline, Pearl Jam, first three albums, we're talking 10 versus Vitology. First three albums, Pearl Jam is very different than post three albums, Pearl Jam. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. They're like a different band altogether. Right. They're the completely, completely they're, different. They're they're progressing, you know, just like every just the Beatles, just like the Led Zeppelin, just like every every band is going to progress, you know, mm-hmm. you know, through time. Well, they had a they had a little bit of a reverse in like I feel like Pearl Jam, like they were trying to progress, but they were trying to progress as themselves versus Led Zeppelin, who was trying to progress to mass to, to take over the universe, right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Pearl Jam was more like, okay, man, like they did the pseudo Nirvana thing. If if Nirvana, if Kurt wouldn't have died and Kurt would have continued doing, you know, songwriting and things like that and writing, if Nirvana would have continued writing albums, they would have, I feel like they would have traveled down similar paths, paths as Pearl Jam mm-hmm. because, you know, Pearl Jam, like they're very like, so when, when Alive or not when Alive, when 10 came out, it was around the same time as when Nevermind came out. Right. Right. One. And they were both absolute box office breaking smash hit albums. It wasn't, mm-hmm. didn't, you know, around the same time was that when Bad Motorfinger came out too? Oh, yeah. And it was the same time as well as, um, as, uh, Jar, or uh, not Jar Flies, but, um, uh, Dirt. Or did Dirt come out? Mm-hmm. Dirt. Yeah. It was, I mean, all that. It was that, like the big grunge movement, basically. Well, Dirt, oh, yeah. no, Dirt didn't come out until like what? Until 94? like, yeah, ninety five. Ninety five. I would say. 
Yeah. Well, Bad Motor Finger was literally released one month after 10. Boom, there you go. Makes about sense. And I'd say that's probably the heaviest record out of all three of them, if we're going to compare that, you know? Heavy? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And the name, well, uh, the name of the album was uh, Mookie Blaylock's jersey number, right? 10? 10. 10. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's where they got their original name. Because Pearl Jam's original name, because like I said, when, it, when Eddie flew no, I'm talking up about for there. The, for, the, for the album 10, just the name of the album 10. Right, yeah, that was Mookie Blaylock's, their original band name. That was, uh, that was his number. Um, so fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they, they moved very quickly after Eddie Vedder had moved up there. They started playing, a show, playing shows like two weeks after Eddie Vedder moved up there mm-hmm. and, was, oh. and was doing stuff. Love it. Yeah, he joined a band. He joined the, the band after a, a week. They started calling themselves Mookie Blaylock, which is a player for the um, – Chicago Bulls and his jersey number happens to be the number 10. Um, and so they started playing shows uh, two weeks later. Something else to mention about Pearl Jam is they've kind of had a problem with drummers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could say that they've had a little bit of an issue with drummers. Dave Cruson was uh, he was on the drums initially when they were still Mookie Blaylock. I mean, that was that was very short lived. But um, so anyway, yes. So Mookie Blaylock. Uh, you know they're they're working on their album. They eventually signed with Epic Records, and when the, that's when they renamed themselves uh, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Um, so they also previous to this, they started uh, opening up for Alice in Chains. Cool. They did that a lot on the facelift tour. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's kind of why they started. Uh, that's kind of where they started cruising. You know, getting a little bit of notoriety. So, um, for, for Pearl Jam's 10 album, um, Stone Gossard even said that, you know, he needed to find his own, uh, guitar without stealing it from other artists because he, uh, he supposedly a lot of this, a lot of the riffs and stuff that he was using, he just took it and put his own spin on it from like, uh, Jimi Hendrix and like, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan type stuff. And then oh yeah, if you, cause there's even certain songs that he actually stole the riff for a live from from stevie ray vaughn <laughs> really yeah <laughs> well um you you'll find that a lot especially i'm sure you've noticed mark as a fellow guitar player you'll notice a lot in pearl jams specifically their intros um they use a lot of hendrixy chords mm-hmm. they oh, use yeah. a ton like yellow Ledbetter. Mm-hmm. The, the entire intro to yellow Ledbetter is a little wing it's like a little wing <laughs> yeah exactly so it's but anyway like this album um alive this was a smash album like we talked about it was released august 27th 1991 um and i mean just look at the look at the the songs that were on this album you know even flow alive black jeremy oceans porch garden deep release like those were all absolutely fantastic songs it's definitely one of the my top 20 of all time favorite albums easily top 10 maybe guaranteed man yeah it was a generational change it was it was like moving the torch. It's like handing the torch off. And it was just like one of the greatest albums of all time. And it, it came out. To find a generation. It was, it came out at, right at the end of the spring, you know, and, the, and right before the summer. So like, it was like the perfect time for, for that album to hit, to hit stores because everybody was just listening to that thing, like nonstop 24 hours a day, first the whole that. summer, oh, yeah. the I whole summer. The CD. I owned the tape. <laughs> yeah me too yeah I actually i didn't even buy the tape i was at the seaside heights boardwalk in new jersey 
and I was at, I was at my buddy's uh, stand where it's like this big wheel that you spin and you put down a quarter. So like you know you can either buy you can win cigarettes, you can win tapes, CDs. That was before CDs, and I, that's where I got it, man. I, I you know I was just like I guess I'll try the new Pearl Jam. You know I'll try those guys out, and then that fucking th- that thing must have stayed in my tape player in my car <laughs> right. for like a month. I, I did. I, I think every one of my friends that I knew had had this tape, dude. Everybody that I knew had this tape for. Oh, everybody. everybody. Yeah, yeah. It was everywhere. For, same thing. Yeah, same thing with uh, with um, Nevermind as well, man. Oh yeah. I'm, oh god. I remember being hanging out with friends on a Friday night, and we were because it was before the before it was like when the single first came out. They didn't have the tape; wasn't in the store yet. So like we were all just hanging out, waiting for that stupid song to come on every fucking night. Right. You know. <laughs> oh man, and that's that's you don't see albums like that anymore. Like and and. And speaking of any more, like you don't, there's not too many of those albums out. I won't disagree. Yeah. But the entire album is just absolute fucking gold. No filler songs. Exactly. No bullshit. Mm -hmm. The entire album is gold. Like I feel like Dark Side of the Moon's one. I was just thinking that. Yeah, of course. You know know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Arguably, maybe Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy or Led Zeppelin 2, maybe. Well, but not, not on the same caliber, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like, you know, um, and so here, here we go with our first uh, drummer change. Uh, Cruson left the left the band in May of 1991 after checking himself in rehab, who is replaced by Matt Chamberlain. Um, and Matt Chamberlain only only played a handful of shows with him. He uh, and one of you know, one of which was the Alive video. He he was the drummer for the Alive video, but he eventually left the band and he went to go join the Saturday Night Live band. Well, I mean, what a fucking mistake. It's a mistake, but at the time he was probably thinking, do I want to stick around with these rock and roll dudes or do I want to just live in New York and and be you know, in the Saturday Night Live band? I mean, that is a, that is such a an honor to, to 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 be, you know, asked to do. Yeah, disagree. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, especially during that time. Now I don't think Saturday Night Live is as big as it was, but back no, then but back uh, at, that was one yeah. of the staple programs. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and then uh so Chamberlain, uh, he, he got replaced by one of my favorite Pearl Jam drummers, uh, Dave Abruz. How do you pronounce that? I've never been able to pronounce that guy. Dave A. Abruzizi, Ab- Aphrodisiac. I don't know. Abruzizi. 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 Whatever. Pearl Jam fanatics, jump out of your chair and, and turn this podcast off right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. But anyway, we'll call him Dave A. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the for the sake of argument, uh, the, he he signed up with those guys and uh and then he started playing the support shows and the tours with uh you know supporting 10 um which that album once again absolutely blew me away and you know it's gone 13 times platinum so mm-hmm. um so after this was their this was their nevermind um so you know we talked about the nevermind effect you know that it had on nirvana the last episode it, it shot them from no go to turbo overnight oh yeah mm-hmm. you, you know after that all they did was was tour and and that's another thing to mention when Nirvana Kurt Cobain in the very beginning did not like Eddie Vedder. Yeah. Did I mean openly talked about it and there's a lot of interviews where you can see like when they're talking to Cobain they'll ask him about Vedder and they're talking to Vedder they'll ask him about Cobain. And Vedder Vedder's always been a very mellow kind of chilled out guy. He never really says anything negative about Kurt. He's mostly in the realm of like I don't understand why this guy doesn't right. like me. Yeah, so, I've never done anything to him. I've never done anything to him, man. Like you know, 
Eddie, Eddie always, and he's big got this deal. persona. Big deal. He lent me one of his flannel shirts one night. I, I didn't give it back. Oh, fucking well. Yeah, he's got to have <laughs> 700 of them. Yeah. You know, no, and that's, and that's kind of a, a, a quote to Eddie Vedder's persona as well, because he's always got this kind of deep brooding, you know, kind of persona to him. You know, the Eddie Vedder persona, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you will. Um, so anyway, uh, after, after Tim was released, they did some appearances on Saturday Night Live and MTV, obviously. Um, they did the MTV Unplugged, which was awesome and also an incredibly difficult to find record. Same thing with Stevie Ray Vaughan, man. Oh, my God. MTV would, would, would release that, actually. It's, it is incredibly hard. Isn't that where he, it's where he wrote on himself? What did he write on himself? Oh, it was something to do with abortion, yeah, like, like free, uh, free, you know, mind or yeah. whatever. I don't know. Yeah. And he was also very politically yeah. uh, active. Yeah, I, I remember watching it. He, he, he drew something on him with a Sharpie or something. I just can't remember what it was. It, was, it had something to do with abortion. I'm, Corporate uh, magazines suck. I think abortion rights or something. <laughs> yeah. Pro, I think it was pro-choice is what he was writing or something like that. Yeah. But something like that. You're getting ready to I, head into my favorite album. <laughs> Oh, shortly. You know, after they they also did a, a couple of the songs for the 90, 1992 Cameron Crowe film Singles, which we all know and love. If you guys haven't seen that movie, it's a great homage to 90s society and 90s Basically. music. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know what I mean? Uh, so they head into the studio after touring for two years in support of 10. They head into the studio in 1993 and they released their third or second album on uh, October 19th, 1993, which is Versus. I love it. Which which sold nine hundred and fifty thousand copies in its first week. Is that all? Wow. <laughs> I mean, shit, man. That's dope. That album. That's, it's so, yeah. such a great follow up to. Kind of. Oh, oh yeah. Stuck with the same melodies, kind of stuck with the same chords, kind of just kind of maybe got a little heavier, a little faster. It was a little heavier, right? He was Eddie was a little bit more raw in his vocals. Yeah, dude. Well, I think I I think uh, this you know an homage to this as well because with Ten, uh, Eddie was kind of kind of still semi new to the band, so he didn't really have his legs underneath him yet, mm-hmm. you know. And and so at this point in time, Jeff and Stone are are still very much the songwriters. You know what I mean? And I think in verses, this is when Eddie kind of found himself, and when Eddie began taking the reins on the songwriting. Yes. Yeah, he says, I have something to say, and I'm going to say it. Not that, yeah. not that you guys can't add stuff in, but I'm, I'm mainly taking over. This is my area now. Yeah. Well, it, with that, too, being that how famous, you know, so, so, such as after Nevermind, being that how famous they were after 10, Eddie is now in the spotlight, you know, and, and Stone and Jeff, which I kind of feel bad. And then I guess at the time, Dave A., uh, they kind of were just those supporting guys behind Eddie Vedder. Oh, I can't disagree. Oh, yeah, you know, be- everybody because needs, yeah. That's how it goes yeah. with every band, though. I mean, honestly, I mean, unless you're Kiss, I, I really can't disagree with Mark <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah. It's like now Eddie Vedder's got his feet yeah, wet, true. and it's it's and now it's going, dude. This album is just now and the way it starts, and then you got Animal Daughter, which is what their first radio hit off that album, if I do believe. Right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, yes. Then you got Glorified G Dissident, which is a really slow, good song. I, it, yeah, dude. Great. And just the whole album is really, really good. And it's just a great song. Animal. Animal's a great, I mean, great, great song. It's kind of like, I, I know, I know it's like, I know, Mark, you're not like a, a Steely Dan fan, but it's like, 
Steely Dan came out with Asia, and then the next following album was Gaucho. It's just a great follow-up album, kind of like with um, mm-hmm. Red Hot Chili Peppers with Blood Sugar Sex Magic to um, One Hot Minute, you know? Like, any other albums you guys could sit and say that are, are kind of like that? Well, I mean, there was a whole slew of those in the 90s. I mean, you look at the, the bands in the 90s, I mean, it's just follow-up album after follow-up album. It's just they were killing they were. it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, oh yeah. I mean, not to, not that I'd like them that much, but Green Day was a great example. I mean, the follow up oh, yeah, for Dookie, you know, was was a great was a great follow up. What was that? I forget was the name of the album, but I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, Nimrod. Yeah, and so and and that's another thing too is with this album. So with the first album, Ten, they did uh, they were getting deep into the music videos. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Like they were getting music video to death. Well, like, dude, when you everybody TV, was during those times. That's what I mean, because they were they were they were following up with the you know the music video boom of the eighties. Not only you know, that, like, but if they but all these bands were on tour for these summer festivals, specifically Lollapalooza. I mean, right? Because I, I remember I went to I went to the ninety two Lollapalooza. That's I t- that's where I touched Eddie Vedder's freaking foot when he jumped off the damn uh, rafters on the stage. I mean, wow! Everybody who's anybody was going to be on tour at a festival that year, specific, oh, specific for sure for, well, for all of the nineties. I would say, yeah. For sure. And this is this is also, too, because after after putting out these, you know, like the music video for Alive and how many times did you see Jeremy on TV? Oh, God, dude, I was so sick of that song. I was so sick of that song. (laughs) Yeah, man. And uh, and, you know, Eddie Vedder being the child star that he was, he was a child star. Uh, He did great in the acting in that. Um, And he also did great on the Temple of the Dog record, too. He made his first cameo there on Hunger Strike. That was good, too. I, I just had to mention that before I forget about it. But so with At versus, home, they kind of put strong picture. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they they Don't started you to exactly put the me when I was singing. I'm playing with your wax pile in the studio <laughs> right now. Nice. Um, um, so they put the kibosh on this uh, on this music video bullshit because Eddie was just not about. They're like, we are not going to be known as a fucking music video band. Like, because once you get stuck in a rut like that, it's kind of like an actor. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like what Marvel did with Iron Man. Nobody else in the history of fucking the universe can ever be Iron Man now. Right, ever. right. You know, and so they didn't want to be noticed as so that. They didn't want to be They started doing what more live videos, right? Well, they started recording their concerts, and like we were talking about offline, they started putting out these these bootleg copies. So if you if you really count them up, Pearl Jam has almost seventy two yeah. live albums, right? Because they were recording every one of their shows, them, yeah. and these bootlegs were coming out, and the bootlegs were super. They were so yeah. expensive back in those days. Thirty dollars for a CD for a bootleg concert—that was unheard of. Like what? Well, that th- that that also explains, you know, that that goes into how big Pearl Jam was because people, somebody was buying it. Oh, everybody was buying them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I bet you those some of those things are probably worth yeah, some money. I got a lot of them. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I mean, the only other band you could really compare that to would yeah, be the yeah. Grateful Dead. Yeah. You know. Yeah. With a lot of bootlegs. Fish. Yeah. Or fish. Yeah. yeah. Jam bands. Yeah. Jam bands. Um, and so, yeah. And they also during this tour, like their versus tour, this, this is when they started kind of because everybody knows. Well, maybe not everybody knows, but people who listen to, you know, Pearl Jam fairly intently know of the big battle that they went through oh, yeah. with Ticketmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Pearl Jam's always kind of been like a fight the system, you know, rage against the machine type type band in that aspect not necessarily in their in their lyrics and their songwriting but in their attitude towards performing and their fandom as a whole mm-hmm. 
you know, and so during this tour, they, they also started setting caps on ticket prices, you know, to, to fuck with scalpers. Cause they wanted people, they wanted their music to be accessible right. to their fans. Right. And what Ticketmaster, you know, the monopoly that Ticketmaster is, what they were doing is the same shit that StubHub and everybody does now in Live Nation and shit is, you know, you have a, a $30 ticket with $15, $20 worth of surcharge fees, which is almost 50% of the ticket price in fees tacked on the back. And for what? <laughs> Not for pleasure. That's well, for sure. <laughs> for yeah, I, put it, I put still it don't way. know. I, spent, I, just, I just bought tickets for Rage about a month ago. And it cost me mm-hmm. $620 to buy four of them through Ticketmaster. Wow. Hey, can I, can I ask a serious question? Do you, sure. do you guys think that there's ever going to be like concerts yes. again? Mm. Yes. Concerts again? <laughs> yeah. I mean, mass, mass groups getting together with all this crap going yeah. on right now. Oh, good Lord. This isn't the yes. end of the world. I don't know, man. Well, don't don't know. spit in well, each other's mouths. <laughs> you know, just. Just be conscious of what you're doing. This whole quarantine thing. This has got me delved into my music. I feel like I've been in my back. They're talking about this. I'm not, I'm not going to get you're right. You're right. I'm not even going to talk about that. But I was yeah. I was just thinking that the other day. Like, I mean, at least this summer, they're not going to have any concerts. I can guarantee well, you that. What I want to know is how many babies are going to be well, born after that. this coronavirus. Eh, <laughs> uh, well. Everybody trapped at home. There's a couple things you're going to be doing. You're going to be boozing and you're going to well, be boning. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah and after this episode you're going to be listening to pearl jam records Probably. while you're boozing and while you're Probably. boning so anyway i haven't been doing so, either of those things but well you are now uh, so after versus comes out they start setting ticket price caps on their uh you know to kind of get rid of scalpers and they also start going after Ticketmaster. uh they were starting to not play Ticketmaster shows they were they were you know essentially uh, you know, banning them from their tours. They weren't going to play Ticketmaster venues because they didn't want their fans to have to play these ridiculous surcharges. And they also filed a Supreme Court case against Ticketmaster yeah. to try to have them shut down or that was, at least change their policies. That was so big that, that when, they, when, they did that, that, yeah. when they did that, it was like the whole world was watching the Eddie Vedder in court that day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, um, I remember that. And so... Which, but I don't know because this also when they when they were doing that because everybody was touring because they were one of the only bands that were going to do that I think they were the only band that did that yeah um, yeah so it was making it increasingly more difficult to see Pearl Jam play mm-hmm. you know I think what they were also doing with uh, during those days too is they were selling reduced um, merchandise too reduced yeah you know pricing on that stuff. Yeah, and with the Ticketmaster thing as well, is it was making counterfeiters, it was making it easier for counterfeiters to make the make tickets and counterfeit tickets. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, and so it was difficult. So all this is going on. They're on tour with Versus, um, so they're very busy at this time. And in between, uh, you know, live shows and court appearances and fighting the man, they're writing songs for their thirst, which is another one of my favorite albums mm-hmm. by this band. It's, another it's a great, a great album. I mean, this is where they. This they is where they start getting a little dark. Pushing these things out. A little darker, and it's just so good. Yep. Yeah, and this is also where Dave A, uh, he was fired from the band for creative differences and replaced by the Red Hot Chili Peppers' former drummer, yep. Jack Irons. How does a drummer have creative differences? <laughs> <laughs> you either play the drums or you don't, dude. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. I don't. I'm. I'm not too deep into the, yeah, the crazy yeah. song creative writing process. So I don't know. I feel like each, well, at least back then, maybe each each group had their songwriter. You know, their primary songwriter. Yeah, usually it was a lead singer or the guitar player. I mean, yeah, Jerry Cantrell wrote for Alice in Chains and Kurt for Nirvana and now Eddie for, you know, because but this is like I said, this is starting to become Eddie's band. Yeah. Yeah. And that was also starting a lot of tension between them as well. I mean, I never heard about any tension per se between like the main three. Oh, there was for sure. Absolutely. Um, they were with Vitology. They were, and uh, no, I think this is actually no code. They actually started recording no code without Jeff Ament. And, and Jeff caught mm. wind of it and got when furious. I that, Damn. CD, that no code CD, it was so weird because I think they had like, they actually had like four or five different versions of that album. If, I, if I'm serving myself correctly, because they had pictures inside the leaflet there on that one. And then, and they, because they, yeah. a couple of buddies of mine had different albums of it, and all their pictures were different. But some of them were same, but a couple were different. So it was kind of weird how they how they packaged that CD. Yeah, Pearl Jam with their different. Yeah, Pearl Jam with their odd, like you were saying, like the cardboard cutouts of the albums and things like that. With their art, like odd presentation of their albums, they were just made to fuck <laughs> up people's CD racks. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I know. Like, I hated well, that album. Vitology, that Vitology was an odd record. <laughs> just if you were talking about the packaging, just because it was all paper as well, and it was just, it was so weird. That's man. what I and mean. It does, and it fucks up your, it fucked up your CD rack, dude. I'll tell you that. You're all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they did that but on it, purpose because that's like that one exactly. giant encyclopedia in a row <laughs> right. of paperback. Books. Exactly. You're right. You're, you're like, hey, honey, what do you listen to? I don't know. Let me look. Uh, how about Vitalogy? <laughs> yeah. What's what's the tomb of ancient Egypt over there? Grab that out. Oh, <laughs> it's Vitalogy. Let's listen to this. You know, uh, so Vitalogy, their uh, third studio album that was released uh, November 22nd, 94 on vinyl first. So and then two weeks later on December 6th. On CD mm-hmm. and cassette, yeah, Eddie was all into the vinyl, and they even have that. Uh, what, what's that song? Turn, turn the black, the, turn the turn black, black circle. Something. Turn the black circle. Yeah, right. So they were always or big. Even, even circle, you know, yeah. you can see interviews with Eddie where he's. Yeah, spin the black circle. Yep. That was actually on Vitology uh, song too. Um, so they were big into that. They always wanted to have their shit on vinyl. Um, make it, you know, and that song, Spin the Black Circle, was an obvious, an obvious homage to final records and won a Grammy in 96. So that's, that's pretty good. Um, so Vitology, let's talk about that a little bit. This is, this is when we're, we're still in the main, the first three albums, I think, for Pearl Jam. I wouldn't call them the main. I feel like this is when they're main following. They were huge at this point. They were at the peak of their game at Vitology. And after this, they kind of take a little bit of a dip so in what, popularity, what you- I feel like. You know, they yeah, always have their. Club. I would say I, I kind of stopped after Vitology. I was kind of like, I stopped yeah, after okay. Yield. I'll go see. I'll go. Right. I stopped after Yield. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't think I ever even bought Yield. Well, Vitology in and of itself, that was a pretty. I mean, it wasn't chocked full of powerhouse hits like Ten was, but I think that that's where the that's the direction they were trying to go is because they were like I said in the beginning, if Nirvana would have continued, they would have followed the same track because they didn't want the notoriety in the sense of you know, like music videos and corporate notoriety. They wanted notoriety in the sense that they wanted their well, fans I, I think to like what to they me was like a story. You know what I'm saying? Like I, you start off, you start off with the first track. Absolutely. Like, you know, it basically builds you up to spin the black circle. And then it goes hard with not for you. And, you know, kind of weird with Trevor Christ, but then nothing, man. 
And then Corduroy, I mean, Bugs was a great, great uh, song, kind of like raps to the uh, verses. And then Better Man, you know, so. Right. It's just, it, it's kind of, it kind of flows perfectly. And then you end with, uh, hey, um, yeah. you end with Immortality. It's just, this is great all the way. Great listen. Yes. Yeah. Well, they had that final song, that weird one, Hey, Foxy Mama, Nama, Mop Handle Mama, you know, Stupid Mop, that weird song. But but like I said, I, I think I think in order for a band to in order for a band to get huge, your album has to appeal to not only, you know, your niche audience, but it has to appeal. There has to be like eight year olds listening to your songs. No, but you're yeah, but like 13 to, to 17 year olds, at least. Well, I think back then everybody in the yeah. entire world was listening were- to Pearl Jam. Yeah, everybody oh, was yeah. listening to Pearl Jam because th- that's not so much prevalent anymore. Because albums aren't shaking, specifically rock albums aren't sh- shaping the universe. But look at like our artists like Taylor Swift. Like you've got women in their forties listening to Taylor Swift, and on the same you know in the same car, you've got a, a seven year old jamming out to it. So if you want to gain worldwide notoriety like Pearl Jam did and Nirvana did and all this kind of stuff, then you've got to apply to all audiences. And I think Vitology is when Pearl Jam started splitting off even more, you know, from from their yeah. cliche corporate audience. Like even like listen to the song, the third track on the album, "Not for You." Yeah, like I think I think that's a blatant stab at at that in and of itself. Corporate cock stars, you know what I mean? Not rock stars, but cock stars. That's what they called them. You know, I think that's I a blatant stab at that. Personally, and and this is when they started uh, Pearl Jam started splitting off from those audiences, the corporate rock stars, and they started appealing to the Pearl yes. Jam fans, which was which was probably like early twenties to, to about I forty. Think, I think you're times. right. And going right after Vitology to the next album, which is what I think No Code. Then I, yeah. I think they started defining No Code mm-hmm. as a different kind of band. They started sounding different and more and more jam mm-hmm. bandish. Yeah. Yeah, more absolutely. more classic yeah. rockish than than new rock. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is them getting yeah. back to their sound. You know, them fi- realigning. And like I said, I know I, I honestly believe that Nirvana would have done the, done this had they continued. I had Kurt not died. I feel like it would have gone from in utero back oh, to shit yeah. like Bleach. That'd be well, great. We never knew. We'll it, never know. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, we'll never know. But I think that's what – so uh, with this, you know, also with Vitology, this is when they're in the heat of the, the Ticketmaster boycott. They're not touring a whole lot like they did with 10 and Versus. Yeah. They're not – because it's hard for them to play anywhere because Ticketmaster's taken over the what world. What was the album where uh, the fans got crushed to death in, in the front of the stage? Oh, that was the, they, uh, the Rock Slide well, Festival in 2000. Well, they stopped touring after that. Uh, that was after Bin- uh, Binaural. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that that was after Binaural. That was their sixth album. Yeah. Um, that that started going down. But yeah, so with no code, uh, like I said, it was released in '96. Not a whole lot of touring went. It was a yeah. great album. Yeah. You know, I loved I loved No Code. Um, not not as no- notorious as any of the other ones. You know, Red Mosquito, Off He Goes. Those are those are all really great songs. But there's no nope. there's no real smash hits. On this what album, about, yeah, mm, yeah yellow I'm, something. I forget the name. Go ahead. Of song. I'm for, um, What's that? Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, one of the albums where they did. They had, Riot Act had a couple good songs on it. Love Boat Captain. Uh, yeah, a couple yep. other songs, man. But it, this is also where I also found out of a great compilation album 
that they have that's called, right that no fucking you're thinking a riot act that's a great great album yeah oh yeah of it, i would check it out yeah Yep. Love Bo, Cap- that's a, that's Love Bo Captain one. is yeah. off of uh, Riot Act. Is it? It is. That's that's. I mean, that's a great song. So so we're going from No Code, and we're going to go to their fifth album, Yield, which was released February third, nineteen ninety eight. Um, it was like I said, at this point, they're back to their straightforward rock and roll sound. Do the Evolution was pretty much the only one that was popular. Only the, the uh, only single they really put out for it. Given given to fly was pretty. So, can I can, pretty I can I can I off some of these tracks off this um, off this uh, album they released? This is called No Fucking Messiah. Absolutely, and it starts off with Not for You, Rear View Mirror, Daughter, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, Angel, I've Got a Feeling, Alone, Better Man, Already in Love, Crazy Mary, which is another track we didn't mention, Three Days, Small Town, I Won't Back yeah. Down, Wash, Alive, Black, and then ends it with Porch, and it's just a great great album. Mm, that, that that would be a great album, man. That's fantastic. I, I think it, another song we didn't mention is "Rearview Mirror" off the single soundtrack. That yep. was a great song. Yeah, I, I think at this time, like I said, at this time they are in full in full backpedal mode. They're doing Pearl Jam. They're they're not making albums to uh, you know they're not they're not making albums to appeal to the corporate audience to the eight year olds. They don't want their their CDs and every single CD player. They're appealing to their audience yep. and their fans, Pearl Jam fans. I think that they're just playing the music that they'd love to play. And that's absolutely. That's what the, I mean. And that's what people love. I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess they're, they're trying to appeal to a, a fan base, I guess. But if I was at that, that popularity level, I'm playing what I want to play. I don't care a fuck if anybody oh, wants to it or not. And that's where they're exactly where they're at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is exactly the mindset that they're at at this point. They're, they're, you know, fighting corporate, you know, ticket sales. They're fighting scalpers. They're like, they don't want they backpedaled away from the music video audience uh and so i mean they're still a very very popular band don't make any mistake they didn't just go into the caves or something you know they're still an incredibly popular band. oh they're selling out multiple nights in, in every city absolutely and 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 uh an homage to that do do the evolution absolutely. song that's a fantastic song and uh todd mcfarlane if you ever seen the video for that todd mcfarlane did a lot of the animated cool. video stuff for that mm-hmm. You know, and if anybody knows Todd McFarlane, he did the Spawn series. Yeah, like giving the, like giving the well, yeah, he was, was a great song. Absolutely. That's a great song. Yeah. Um, so we're into, like you had mentioned, the, the Rock Slide Festival. Um, May 16th, 2000, they released their sixth studio album, uh, Binaural. Um, and this is a drummer, a former Soundgarden drummer, Matt Cameron's studio recording debut with the band. Because um, obviously... Soundgarden broke up, so Matt Cameron started going. You know, uh, Chris Cornell went to audio, started doing stuff with Audio Slave and solo stuff. I mean, there's a little bit of a timeline there, but and then Matt Cameron went off to join because uh, Jack Irons he couldn't handle the heat. Um, he didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to deal with the fame. He didn't want to deal with the constant touring. He wanted to surf. He wanted to be with his family, and so Jack Irons split off. Matt Cameron came in, and uh, their sixth studio album in 2000. That's binaural. That's when uh, Soundgarden's Matt Cameron came in. Um, and so this is kind of a transition too. let's think about what was going on in music history in early 2000s. What kind of bands were starting to surface then? Chumbawamba. <laughs> Chumbawamba. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you had the, the change in the tide from the 90s grunge movement. You know, people were sick of the grunge thing. The grunge thing was out. Now it was the pop, poppy you know, bullshit. 
for yeah, absolutely. The uh, the some forty ones and the blinks and and all this kind of stuff mm. is starting to surface in the early two thousands. Maybe not as early as two thousands, but in the early two thousands, the the tide of music, <coughs> rock and roll specifically, Limp is starting to change. <laughs> Limp Bizkit, that's right. Absolutely. That's right. And so, um, in, in support of the binaural album, um, in two thousand on their European leg of their tour on June thirtieth, um, they there was the Rockslide Festival in Denmark, where nine fans were crushed to death as the crowd rushed the front gate and rushed the stage while Pearl Jam was playing. Um, Pearl Jam had consistently tried to stop that show and said, Hey man, y'all chill out. You know what I mean? Y'all relax, stop trying to push to the front. And so they'd keep playing then they'd stop again. And so finally, finally uh, uh, the, the entire crowd rushed. Yeah. And crushed nine people to death. And that, that really, really had a lasting effect on the band, you know, specifically Eddie. Yeah, Vedder. they feel responsible um, that those people died coming to see them, you know? Yeah. But yeah. that's not, it wasn't Absolutely. their fault, man. It was just the people and the security probably didn't take the proper, you know, steps. I mean, who knows what happened? People were, you yeah. know, it was like almost like Beatles mania when it comes to being in the front row for a Pearl Jam concert, you know, people are psycho up when they're up front. Absolutely. And so they stopped touring for uh, a year after that and um, started working on their seventh album, Riot Act, which we talked about a little bit ago, which was released November 12th, 2002. Um, that that album to me was a really experimental for Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. I feel like like that was that was a definite like almost folkier it was. sound, I think to Pearl Jam didn't know what I was used to. Um, yeah. Did you pick I, up on absolutely. that a little bit, Drew? Yeah, that's where they came out with Riot Act. They didn't come out with an album for a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So got to, got to listen to it. I had high expectations yeah. for it, and it wasn't what I was wanting to hear from Pearl Jam. A lot of people were like, this is old Pearl Jam. This is what it's going to be. And I yeah. went, I'll listen to it, and I was not, not uh, moved by it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that wasn't a that wasn't one of my favorite albums. I can tell you that. For yeah, sure. I remember listening to through one. Sounds like eh. Next. Yeah, but but like I said, uh, you know, that was still appealing to the Pearl Jam fan base because still at the time, you know, you they're not underground at this point. You know, they're, no, they they still they're not they're not poison. You know, they didn't dive under a. Do Pearl Jam somewhere. fans don't I, care? I mean, freak, Eddie Vedder can, can go up on stage by himself with a ukulele and they'll still still love that shit. Oh, wait, he, here, well, here he does that. <laughs> I was going to say, man, I, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm a first five, first Absolutely. four albums Pearl Jam. Absolutely. I can, That's where I'm I'm, I'm kind of with you. Yeah. I, I love Pearl Jam, but I'm a first four or five album Pearl Jam fan as opposed to the entire discography fan. Now, that's saying that. Uh, I'm a huge Eddie Vedder solo artist fan. He does have a lot of good songs. I love it. Dude, that Into the Wild soundtrack. If you guys have never seen the movie Into the Wild, you should watch it. And uh, Eddie Vedder does the entire soundtrack to the movie. Well, Just, just, just Breed is one of his. Is, isn't it? What, see that? But that yeah. was on his last album for Pearl Jam as well as his solo stuff. So I don't know. Well, that was on yeah. uh, Just Breathe was on Backspacer. Yeah, but the, yeah, didn't didn't like, he does he does that on his solo stuff too, doesn't he? Just breathe. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he? yeah. I mean, he does different variations of but that's it that, that, but... to me. Like that's the that song right there is is classic Pearl Jam. You know, also, Just, he, oh yeah, kind of almost didn't went back to, to ten on that one too. Oh, they were yeah. Well, oh, absolutely. Well, before they that's, that's where point. they started out. 
with Neil Young. Yeah, that's when they started out. But they, they, they continued to do a lot of stuff with Neil Young. Like, Neil yeah. Young was always a big Pearl Jam fan and vice versa. Yeah, but you know what? When they, when they were nobodies and they did, they did some stuff on a Neil Young record for Neil Young, he didn't give them any credit. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of dickish, Neil. Yeah, well. If you're, I hope you hear this, Neil. That was a dick move. <laughs> yeah. Man, don't do that stuff, man. <laughs> uh, so their uh, A Studio album released May second, two thousand six, which is a self titled self titled album, Pearl Jam. Um, that was that was decent. That was another like I said, it it appeals to a certain crowd. It appeals to the they're they're in the full swing of. We're going to appeal to Pearl Jam fans. Worldwide Suicide, Life uh, Wasted. That was a, that was a great couple songs. Um, but then, like I said, they were doing – Eddie was doing a lot of his solo stuff. Jeff Ament did a lot of his solo stuff. And Stone Gossard was yep. kind of just like a, on a peace mission or something. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know exactly what he was doing. But now, did you guys ever hear the 2007 Pearl Jam recording no, of uh, Love Rain Over Me of, from The Who? Nope. Wow, dude, go. That's a little homework for you. Uh, go listen to Pearl Jam's rendition of the Who's Love Rain Over Me. That was he, they, they recorded that song for um, a film called Rain Over Me with Adam Sandler in it, uh, a, a Mike Binder film in 07. That was a, I actually really, really, really like that rendition of it. He, I mean, Eddie Vedder just fucking goes hard in that song. Hmm. It's pretty I'll good. Check it out. Uh, so, so after this, uh, before Backspace or their ninth studio album, uh, they did a lot of touring, a lot of European touring, a lot of Lollapaloozas they're back to in the big concerts because they kind of gave up with the Ticketmaster thing. They're like, well, you know what? If we're not playing with Ticketmaster, we're not playing right. with fucking anybody, so we might as well just do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they released Backspacer, Backspacer September 20th, 2009. Um, that was a pretty good record as well. Like I said, not my favorite. Just Breathe, that was fantastic. The Fixer, uh, Amongst the Waves, Johnny Guitar. Those are all really, really good. Yeah, amongst the amongst song. the ways is good. I like that one. Yeah, that, that's all good stuff. So, um, you know, we're we're gonna move forward with them a little bit. Um, and then their Lightning what was their Bolt. tenth studio album, Lightning Bolt? Mm-hmm. That was a good one. Um, just tip your typical Pearl Jam stuff. Released uh, October fifteenth, two thousand thirteen. That was a typical Pearl Jam album. It was great. And they actually have their eleventh studio album, Gigaton. Uh, it is. I think it's coming out next week, hmm. March twenty seventh, twenty. Yep. Cool. Is, is that when it's That's, coming uh, out? I mean, it's probably wow. I get a chance to Far see out, him live. Man. It's like one of my bucket lists. Is I've never seen Pearl Jam live. So. Oh, dude, I've seen. I yeah, I've probably seen him at least nine times. Wow, that's awesome, dude. I'm jealous. They were everywhere. They were once. everywhere yep. for I've many, many, really many years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, they're, they're great live. I saw them one time, and I think it was in like 2015. It was here in Jacksonville, and I was so drunk that I barely remember it. Mm-hmm. So I, I always tell my wife, Kristen, that uh, Pearl Jam's pretty much the only – because I don't know if any of you guys out there have noticed this, but the trend of concerts, much like everything else in yep. the world, you I, almost can't I've, I've afford a... to go anymore. Yeah. Like, you, you remember back in the 90s and early 2000s, it would be like, oh, man, fucking Stone Temple Pilots is coming into town. General admission tickets, tickets are to, only 25 bucks. The sanitarium tour. Let's go I check them it out. Had, uh, it had Corn, Metallica, Corn, uh, Kid Rock, Papa Roach, System of a Down, and uh, somebody else. And it was the highest ticket I've wow. ever paid for. I think it was like 120 bucks. And uh, I think the other highest that I ever paid for was yeah. <clears throat> uh, Nine Inch Nails and Perfect Circle opened up for them. I think that was like 90 bucks. 
I literally just bought two tickets to Tool and spent almost three hundred and fifty dollars. Dude, that's that's the thing, man. Like with with modern day, and I kind of get it because in the we're going through that weird transition that the two thousands went into with like streaming music. You know, when yep. streaming music kind of started killing CDs. Yep. Um, you know, when the iPods were the first edition iPods, they're raping us on the live charts. That's it. <laughs> That, yeah, exactly. that makes perfect sense exactly. there, Will. Perfect sense, though. They, they're 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 flooding us up up with the freaking live charges, man. Well, because well, that's where they're making their money. Because nobody's buying albums anymore. You pay Pandora Premium yep. for ten dollars a month. You got every album in the fucking world. Mm-hmm. So they're not, you know, you're not going to Fye in the mall anymore or whatever, and Best Buy, and it's... you know, buying their fifteen twenty dollar new album. You're they're getting yep. all their money buy, in the back end and touring charges. Mm-hmm. Anymore. I mean, barely, you know, barely they have a selection there for you to buy anymore. Well, because nobody sells them anymore, and and so what they're doing is they're making money on merch number one. They're making money on ticket prices number two, and then you have what the very thing that Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder were trying to fight is these surcharges. For instance, Mark and I were trying to go see the Rack and Tours not too long ago, and I was like, "Oh, Rack and Tours, that that, that won't be too bad." You know, decent tickets were one hundred and twenty dollars with thirty dollars worth of fees, and I'm I like, "Dude, disagree. they're not a hundred and fifty dollar band." Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not paying that. Like, I'd pay fifty. But they're not a hundred and fifty dollar band, and and there's another thing too that's kind of weird. You remember back in the day with shows, nobody wanted yep. the general admission tickets were the cheap tickets. Yeah, the standing room tickets were like the cheap ones. You know, those were the thirty dollar, and then the seating yep. started at sixty or fifty or forty, whatever. Now the general yep. admission tickets are the expensive For, ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, general admission will For be one hundred and twenty, and seats will be sixty. Exactly. Was uh, five hundred bucks. That's what I'm saying, man, and I just can't. I just can't. Uh, but <laughs> what, I, what I was leading to is Pearl Jam is the last band on this earth that yep. I will pay whatever Absolutely. it costs to sit front row. Mm. I don't care if it's a thousand dollars; I'll pay it. I don't care. So I think that's going to wrap it up. Pearl Jam, uh, like we were talking about a little bit with, well, like I was talking about with Mark Drew before you got on the line, is I think um, you always ask Drew is what what is the best American rock band of all time american rock band now not rock band american rock band and i think pearl jam is dangerously close in that category because one they're one of the longest lasting american rock bands of all time and two they've stayed together like i said longest lasting and three they're absolutely completely and utterly notorious what about molly crew <laughs> no i can't disagree with you on, on that dude no the only, the poison thing I can Vince- say that can even remotely come close to that is aerosmith dude american rock band yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there nope, you go. There is not many. Absolutely, but there's not many. Yep. There's not many. Probably ca- I can count them on one hand. Um, but anyway, guys, uh, sorry for the delay in the uh, most recent episode here. We're obviously all locked down in our homes. I'm hoping that we are providing you with at least some form of fucking entertainment here with this Pearl Jam podcast. We will be back with you as soon as we can. And we love you. Right. Take care, guys.